new people? They don't know? So I have to apologize if my voice cracks or sounds scraggly. I'm going through my yearly bronchitis. It's not puberty. I went through puberty when you were probably two years old, Jose. But yeah, so it's totally unrelated to anything. It's a funny story. I've got like all this sinus congestion. I, I got fillings for the first time. Who's got fillings before? Good, that means most of you brush your teeth. I brush my teeth, I just grind them. It's, but anyway, so like I had like the dentist had his hands in my mouth and then the dentist assistant had her hand in my mouth like trying to get these fillings and I can't breathe through my nose so I'm like over here like <laughs> And he like stops, he looks and he's like, what's wrong with you? Like, what do you mean there's three hands in my mouth? I can't breathe. Anyway, totally unrelated. Have you guys ever done something Dumb, or are you just acting like an idiot? Yes. Or are you getting a weird? Okay, I didn't even finish, but give yourself away. And then, like, you get caught doing it, and then you just gotta keep going with it because you're either too proud to admit it, or you're just too embarrassed, and you just keep kind of going along with it. I had a, I have a friend. He's well, he's my friend now. But when we first met. For like the first team, three times we met each other, he's like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm sorry. I'm really bad with names. What's your name again?" Like Brian. You know, a few days later, what's your name again? Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, dude. Like, it's Brian. And then eventually, he's like, hey, man, what's your name? I'm like, it's Frank. Frank stuck. He remembered Frank. I was Frank for a month. And he came up to me one day, we're hanging out, and someone else comes up, hey, Brian, blah, 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 blah. And we're talking. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's kind of awkward. And the guy leaves, and he leans over, dude, he told him your name was Brian. That's so funny. And I'm like, yeah, I got him good. And then, then like, a week later, he's like, your name is Brian. Like, you got it's like, dude, you, did, you didn't remember ever. He remembered finally. But I just kept going with it. I just kept going with it. Tonight, we are talking about Psalms 34. And a little bit of background of this. If you know King David, he was the second king of Israel. And I believe as we spoke about Isaac, see, I hear so many sermons. I don't remember what we talked about. If, did you mention Isaac last time? Yeah, someone did, maybe. Whatever. Not even Isaac. It's Frank. <laughs> anyway, King, king David, when he was a kid, had been prophesied over to become the next king of Israel. And King Saul was going to go out on his way out. King Saul didn't like this, so he's chasing King David, well, David around. He wants to kill him. He's like, no, I don't want that kid to be king. I'm going to kill that guy. So David is running from Saul, running from the, the Israelites, all over the place, hiding in caves. And at this one point, he goes into one of the enemy towns of Israel, Gath, to hide from Saul. Because he's just running. He's just running wherever he can to get away from Saul. So he goes into Gath, and these are the enemies of Israel. And some people are like, hey, that's, that's the king. He's, he's supposed to be the guy in Israel. We don't like him. And so David freaks out, and he starts acting like a total idiot. He starts drooling and like, and like going to the city gates and like scratching it and like banging his head and just acting like a total crazy man. And so these, these guys go tell the king, Abimelech, hey, that's, we have David here. And he's like, isn't that the guy that the Israelites made songs about? Like Saul killed his hundreds, but David killed his thousands. Isn't that that guy? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, bring him here. He's, and so they bring David in and David still, he just keeps going with it. He's just going, and he's got drool coming down, says like, and his beard looks like a dog with rabies. Like, who knows what he's acting like? Maybe acting like a gorilla. <laughs> and, and the king is like, who is this? Who's this? Why'd you bring this guy here? 
he's, what is this? Get him out of here. And so they kick David out of the town. He leaves, he goes and hides in a cave. And his family comes and his friends come to meet up with him. So David is just acting like a total fool because he was afraid for one of Saul, but then he was afraid of these, I don't know what he was doing in this enemy town, but he's afraid they're gonna find him out and kill him too. And so reflecting back on this, on this time where David was acting like a total fool, afraid for his life, he wrote Psalm 34. So we're just gonna go through the whole thing. It's 22 verses. Do y'all have a problem with that? No, if he said yes, you know, like, what are you doing here? It's a Christian thing. All right, Psalms 34. A Psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him, and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you saints. There is no want for those who fear him. The young lions languor, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from all evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as those who have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Jesus, we want to learn something about you tonight. We want to grow closer to you every night, but in this night... Lord, we believe you're going to speak to us about something particular, Lord. We want to hear about the hope that you bring, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Just do a work in all of us, Lord. You know what each and every single person here needs to hear? Speak it to them individually, Jesus. Amen. So David was in extreme despair. You have the guy who's supposed to be your king chasing you around trying to kill you so you don't become the king. And then you have this other guy who's your enemy, and he's... If he catches you, he wants to kill you, so you act like a total idiot because you're, you're so afraid you forget who the Lord is and you don't want to trust him. He was in complete despair. Tonight we're going to talk about hope. And if this world was not in complete despair, there would be no such thing as hope because we wouldn't need it. But this world is a mess. The world wasn't meant to be drowning in despair. Right? The Lord made the world and he said it is good. And a king is not supposed to act, have to act like an insane person. We have some insane presidents, but that's a little different. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he talks about how if a person falls into a puddle, you instantly are aware that something is wrong. You're, you're completely wet. You don't, you don't want to be wet. You didn't have your swimsuit. You weren't going to the ocean. You don't want to be wet. Something is wrong because we're not water animals. We have all these alarms going off, right? My baby, 
he has this alarm going off, you know, 2 a.m. I'm wet. Help, I'm wet. <laughs> and I'm like, calm down, it's just you peed yourself. He didn't, he didn't get that. He just knows I'm wet. Something is wrong. It's normal. It's normal for us. We realize something is not right. What would be odd, though, is if a fish was freaking out because it was wet. Right? Instead, a fish freaks out when it comes into the air and says, hey, it's a little dry out here. You notice when you're sick, right? Okay, so I don't know if you women know when you get married to a guy, guys are big babies when we get sick. You get a cold, he's looking it up, I have cancer. Okay? It, no, really, it's cancer, it's not a cold. Big babies, so anytime I get sick, I instantly am aware that my body is not right, right? Like even, even just little sniffles, you're like, oh, it's so annoying. You're all day like, oh, go blow your nose. It's annoying, you annoy everyone around you, you're annoyed. But then when you're really sick, right? And you're here, like boys have like a little tiny tummy ache and we're like, oh God, why did I not thank you for my body when it was well? Please God, I will give you anything. I'll, I'll sell you, I'll sell, I'll give away everything, I'll follow you, God, if you just make me better, I won't play PlayStation anymore, I promise, you know, and then they get better, like, oh, PlayStation. Right, you know something, anytime something is the smallest bit wrong, you're absolutely aware of it. Similarly, we all know that something is terribly wrong in this world. Right, every time you wake up and you get out of bed, whether outside your house, right, you look on the news, or even we have family issues in the house, you instantly are aware that this world is pretty jacked up, yeah. pretty messed up. I, uh, everyone gets Amber Alerts unless you know how to turn it off, right? I turned them off because it's never, it's never anywhere around me. But, uh, but you know, my friends are oh, a seven-year-old girl went missing, and like, you just kind of, you know, whatever. But then you really think, that's really sad. Like, especially being a dad now. My kid, he's just about to turn three months. I would, I don't know, I'd somehow lose more hair if my kid was missing. Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> but, but there's messed up things in this world. And, uh, and we have been kind of desensitized to it because of movies, right? Or we follow, right, that, that girl got murdered by her, probably her boyfriend and everyone's like following it because it's sensational. A, a woman got murdered. You know, the world is messed up. Messed up. So here, like that's all bad, right? Um, I'm gonna set something up, I love history. Imagine this for despair. Isaac, if you wanna, okay. That's from Lord of the Rings, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, so you're gonna have to bear with me. So imagine, if you need to close your eyes to imagine this, right? This campus is the walled city of Vienna. And all the students here, right? Like let's say we took the Bronx Trail, we put walls up. Every student on this campus, let's just say it's around 16,000. And then the entire city of McAllen is coming with guns and cannons to kill you. This happened in 1683. The city of Vienna was being sieged by the Ottoman Empire. The entire city fled except for 16,000 men with their walls. And there were 150,000 Ottoman Empire soldiers with cannons and guns surrounding the city saying, hey, we, want, we actually want to kill you. Knock, knock. Like, come out, please, we want to kill you. For two months, you're trapped in this city. You're trapped here. No one's coming in, no one's coming out, or you're dead. All the food you have, all the water you have, if it's gonna run out, you die. 
That's the, that's the idea of siege warfare. The city of McAllen, the entire city is surrounding this campus, and you're going to die unless help comes. Looks like a totally hopeless situation. You're outnumbered 10 to 1. So this is an actual thing that happened, 1683. The, some of the other Europeans just had a big war with Austria, so they weren't really the best of friends with them. But Austria is saying, hey, help us, help us, help us. Otherwise, the, the Turks are going to come take over everything. And so some guys, they, okay, we'll send a few guys, send a ragtag bunch. And about 90,000 soldiers come to help them. And they're, they're doing okay. They're not the best, but they're definitely not going to win. If anything, they're delaying the inevitable. The Turks have bombs. They've been digging tunnels. They have bombs under the walls that they're going to explode within a day or two. You don't know when it's going to go off. You can go off in the next second. You can go off the next day. You're dead. You're basically dead. There is no hope. You are going to die. But then you look up, and there's a hill over by the city, and you see out of the woods coming these dudes that look like angels on horseback. It is the Polish. The Polish have come with their winged hussars, heavy cavalry. These guys are mercenaries, and all they know how to do is kill people, and they're very good at it. And they've come in the thousands. And they, this is like, go back actually, Isaac. So this is basically, if you were inside of Vienna and you look out, that's like what you'd see. Those are all the Turks out there. This is from Lord of the Rings again. You've got to watch it. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. <laughs> so this is what the Hussars write up, and they see all these guys outside the city. These guys are freaking scary. They have, yeah, go back to the other picture now. They have these wings on their backs to just freak people out, to look huge, to scare the enemy horses. They have four-foot-long swords, and they, have, they all have lances. They, they start riding down the hill, and they smash into the enemy. This is the largest cavalry ride in all of history. 18,000 guys on horses smashing into this force of 150,000. You think that's really not anything. But these guys are so good, and they're so scary, that the Ottoman Turks, this incredibly well-trained army, freaks out, and they all run away, and they all get mowed down. The whole friendly forces go and just take them out so it can never happen again. At the last minute, right, all hope was gone. You were going to die. And then these dudes show up the last second, right, like casually late to the party so that they come off looking cool. You were going to die. There was no hope. And then you, then you saw, when you see them coming over the hill, like, <gasps> and you freak out like there is hope. The freaking cool guys are here. We crave justice, right? We crave justice. Everyone who's ever driven a car knows this, right? You get cut off. Oh, where are the cops? Like, oh, get that guy. And then, you know, or someone's speeding past you and you're already going fast, but you're mad that they're going faster than you because they don't care. And you're like, oh, dude. And then you see them pull over later. And you're like, yeah. You know, even though you're speeding too, right? We want justice. When things go wrong in the world, when people are evil, we want justice. We hope, we have this hope that everything will be made right. It's just natural. We want everything to be made right. But how on the earth will everything get fixed when this world is so trashed? Jesus is our only true hope. He's the only true hope. 
He really is. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is why Jesus is our hope. For one, we can't see God. He's called the invisible God. If you've met him, you know him. Right? But, but what if I'm crazy? Right? Even the Apostle Paul, he says, I, I absolutely believe I have the truth. I've experienced things. I've, I've studied the scriptures. I've studied real life, things that happened. I've met people that have seen him. Right? I believe this is the truth, but if this is not the truth, then there is no hope for me. And all is lost, and I don't want to follow this thing called Christianity. Right? It is a hope because we believe in it, but there's no, right? It's not like gravity, you can see it working. Every, you want to see it working, you can, go, you can go try it. But the thing is, Jesus is the only hope for this world. He really is the only hope, and he, if he's not coming, then it is hopeless. It is hopeless. He's the only hope for despair from broken families. That's a huge thing in our culture, broken families. If you have suicidal thoughts, everything looks hopeless, there's only Jesus. He's the only one that can handle it. He's the only one that can fix it. We've had, we have so many friends that we've met just walking with God and loving people. You don't know how many times we've heard the story, I was standing on a ledge the other night, or I had the bottle of pills open, or I, I had the gun there and I was thinking about it. We don't, you don't know how many stories we've heard. And the, these people are contemplating this. And then it has to be the Lord. The next day they meet someone who loves Jesus, invites them into their life, and they find the hope of God, and they're still with us. If you've ever been betrayed by your friend, by a family member, if you've ever lost a family member, just this world is messed up, and there is no hope except for Jesus. But even more than that, even more than that, Jesus is the only hope for true freedom. Right? This world's messed up. There's not much we can do about that. But in your own life, you can help things. Jesus is the only hope for true freedom. Freedom, when the Bible talks about being free, Jesus says he'll come and he'll free, free you. It means you are free to be godly. You don't have to sin anymore. If you, if you think that you have to sin, you are a slave to sin. You choose your master. If you want to be a slave to sin, you can be. It's no problem. You can keep living like you have forever. But Jesus comes and he says, I have I've freed the captive. I have defeated Satan. Right? This is, this is battle talk. He's ridden down the hill and he's stabbed Satan in the chest with a lance. He's gone. He's done. You don't have to be his slave anymore. You still can if you want to be, but you don't have to be. He's broken the chains. Now, now let, me, let me straighten something out. When the Bible talks about perfection, it doesn't mean like you go into a museum and there's a statue, like the statue of David, if, if you know what it is, like huge. It's supposed to be the perfect idea of what a man looks like. It's not real, it's like huge. You know, no one's that chiseled. <laughs> it, the Bible is not talking about that kind of perfection where you are flawless, right? If that were true, I'm hope I definitely don't have any hope. When the Bible talks about perfection, it speaks of faultless, not faultless, blameless, blamelessness, right? If, if my baby, when he learns to walk, 
He has no idea what fire is. You know, he barely can comprehend anything. When he, when he sees a candle, what do babies do? Ooh, sparkly. He learns to walk and he walks up and he grabs the fire. Is my baby still perfect? Well, he was. He had no clue what he was doing. He had no clue. There was a sparkly thing. He was going to touch it. There is no fault to that baby. But now, how do you know a baby is something messed up and you need to go to a doctor if the baby looks at his burned hand, looks at the candle, and is like, I'm going to do it again. That is no longer a perfect baby. How, do you, how does the Bible say you can be perfect? When the Lord reveals something to you, right? When Jesus comes in you and he says, you no longer have to be a slave to sin. That thing that you do, that you think is holding you, that, that you're captive to it forever, you don't have to do it anymore. I don't like that thing. And you learn this. But then you go back to it and back to it and back to it. That's what, that's what the Bible is talking about. When we say perfect, when we say a slave to sin. I've been told that this idea is a heavy burden. I've heard people say, oh, like if you tell people that you can be perfect, it's a heavy burden and no one can handle it. That's thinking of it legalistically. That's how the Old Testament talked. And it, the, Paul says the law only brings death. If you're looking at all these things like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Why, why can't I do that? then it will only bring death to you. And here's why, because you don't have Jesus who brings life. If you take it as legalism, it'll only bring death. But when you look to Jesus, all that stuff becomes hope and rest. Right? Anyone here have a boyfriend, girlfriend? Some people don't want to, don't want to admit it. You know, it's complicated. I don't, I don't want to raise my, I don't want to keep my, hand. Oh, I look like a loser. Here, here's the hope. You don't have to cheat on them. You don't have to. Isn't that good news? You don't have to. If, if you are still a slave to sin, guess what? If, if the slightest whim comes upon you, you're going to do it. You don't have to murder people. You don't have to steal. Right? All these things, they're like these big things. You don't have to, whatever your little problem is, you think, that you, when you go to bed at night, you're like, oh, why did I... Why did I do that again? You don't have to. You don't have to. And it's, the whole thing is, it's not a heavy burden. Jesus isn't, right, the school schoolmaster, like, shaking his, wagging his finger, like, oh, you naughty boy. You're his son, you're his daughter. If it is a burden, it means that you are proud and you, are th you think you're doing this all alone. If you say you have Jesus and you are still in sin, you're doing it all alone. And Jesus isn't with you. If, you. if you think it's a heavy burden, he is not with you. You are selfish and you are thinking of your own issues rather than re your relationship with God. You'd rather be asleep than please God. Right? When I, when I look at my wife, I don't think, oh man, why can't I go out with all these other women? I think, thank God I got this woman. She's amazing. Did you say that's racist? No, I said that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But thank, thank God that I have this, this God that can, 
that can help me out of every situation, that loves me enough to die on a cross. And I, I look to him and I say, what can I do to please you? Not what am I not allowed to do? What am I a naughty boy for doing? And then I just focus on that, right? Thank God, holiness is the standard. And Jesus says, we can live that standard. You can be, you can actually be like me. Not like me. Jesus is saying, you can be like me. Right? You're not a slave anymore. 1 John 4 says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That means you can have hope in him, and it's true. It's true. John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and I will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. All right, think about all the crap that's going on in your life. Think about all the things you, can't, you think you can't get out of that you're a slave to. Jesus says, no, I've already beaten it. Why don't you just come with me? Just come with me, give it up. Give up all that. You, you can have, we have fun all the time at night, and we wake up feeling better for it. We don't regret what we did. Because Jesus is what we call the integration point. Yes. Everything in my life goes through Jesus. Yes. Right? Literally everything. Uh, this is something we as Americans, we don't like to do. We like to compartmentalize things. Oh, this is my work. This is my church. This is my family. This is something other, other cultures, other religions do better than us. When you are a Muslim, how you go to the bathroom is Muslim. That sounds weird, but when you think about it, that's only, that's how it should be. When I go to the bathroom, I go to the bathroom as a Christian. I don't, you know, take off my Christian coat and go to the bathroom and, I don't know, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> you don't throw fireworks down it, <laughs> as fun as that is. <laughs> Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. He is the only hope. He's the only possible hope. But here's the thing. The hope of some is the terror of others. So with, with Jesus, there is a now, but also not yet hope of Jesus. Right? Salvation, like we just discussed. Being saved from sin. That's a right now thing. But then there's also a hope of his return. Right? There's a hope of his return. But in his return, the only hope is really for those who are for him and in him and with him. For those against the Lord, he's, he's trouble, big trouble. First John 5 says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. I don't think you can get it any more plain. You can't make that any more simple. So just as when those winged hussars fulfilled the hope of the soldiers in Vienna, right? Everything was hopeless, everything was lost. Those scary dudes showed up, right? Like, oh, thank God the scary guys are here. The guys with the huge swords. We were going to die. Those guys are here. Thank God. Oh, wow. This is awesome. But, but what did the other, you know, the most of the people there, the 150,000 Ottoman Turks look up and they go, oh, God, we're dead. Oh, oh no. This is terrible. Why are they here? We, wow, man, if only they were a day later. Then they rode down and brought destruction, absolute destruction, right? Revelations 19. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, 
And he who sat on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He kills, sorry, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Right? If you want a side thing, if you want to look up like Jesus coming on the clouds, there are so many cheesy photoshops. There's only like two that look cool. And that's, that's one of them. Like, I look at that. If you say, oh, thank, I want him to come back. Thank God. Please, Lord, come. I find myself saying that whenever I hear these stories of child abductions, of murder, just of war in general. I'm like, Lord, please come back already. Things are so messed up. Things are so messed up. I'm tired of it, God. I'm only 32, and I'm tired of this. I'm tired. I don't want to hear these things anymore. I don't want these things to happen. I don't want to have to think about defending my family. I don't want to have to wear a seatbelt. <laughs> wear your seatbelt. But personally, I want you to come back. I want you back. This world sucks. But because it sucks, please hold off. We have some work to do. <laughs> yeah, when I see this, I hear, this is what I hear. There's going to be no more child abductions. There's going to be no more murder. There's no more family members falling ill. I'm, I'm back. I'm here. I'm here. Your hope is fulfilled. You don't have to, it's, you don't have to wait anymore. You don't have to wonder. I'm here. I'm here and everything will be good again. And you don't want to you don't want to feel like a child, but when you hear that, you're like, I want to feel like a little three year old again, right? When your dad comes home, and everything's happy and good, and you know, oh, everything will be good. All the problems I had of the day, dad's home. When Jesus comes, like dad's home, everything that was wrong, he's gonna fix it. Everything will be good. But if you're afraid at the thought of the judgment of Christ, then it probably means you don't know him. I'll say you don't know him. If you're afraid of him and his judgment, if the thought of him returning doesn't excite you, right? You're not afraid of it, but if you're not excited, I would say it probably means the same thing. You really don't know him. He's not your best friend. I get excited when my best friends come. We're going to hang out. We're going to have fun. I get excited every day when I go home and I get to see my wife and my little baby. They're the ones I love, and they're the ones I want to see all the time. Right? My son, is he's got... The sniffles and he's not feeling too well so they stayed at home i make i don't right normally we go off and we have dinner and it's fun and cool and you know you get to waste your money on spending food out you know whatever i want to i just want to go straight home i want to see my kid when i walk in the door and like even though he's covered in snot like he gives like a little <laughs> goofy smile it, it wrecks me when he's coughing in the middle of the night and i get up to make sure he's okay and like he opens his eyes and even though he feels miserable and he smiles it wrecks me, right? And I can only imagine I'm going to do that same thing when the Lord comes. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. 
if the band wants to come back. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So here is our hope. Here's our hope. Jesus will do everything that he has promised to do. Jesus will do everything he's promised to do. That's what our faith in is him. Right? He said what he will do. And if you know him, you know his character, that he is faithful to do these things. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to. Let that really be a true thing in your life. Let it be true. Accept it now. If you want to have some theological problem with that, you can stay a slave. If you want to stay a slave because some Bible teacher, because you took some verses out of context, whatever, I don't care. I don't, I don't care about all that stuff. If Jesus says you can be perfect, I just want what he has for me. I want what he has for you. Throw all the mental crap out. But this Bible verse says, who cares? If Jesus says you can be free, why wouldn't you want that? Try him out. Ask him. Jesus, be with me. When you're going into some situation, you just know, I, didn't, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. Here's a secret I heard from an old preacher, and he got it from a, a man that everyone said looked like Jesus. This whole story was this preacher was going around, speaking the same thing. The Lord says you can be perfect. Do you believe that's true? And everyone in the audience is like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's true for me. I don't, I don't think I can look like Jesus, but oh, old Bill. And everyone's like, oh, Bill, yeah, definitely Bill. And he's like, oh, I need to meet this man. The preacher goes and he stays with this guy a few days. And when he left, he said, they were right. That man looked like Jesus. What's your secret? What is your secret? He said, well, anytime I'm tempted, anytime I, I want to sin, or even think about sinning, I close my eyes and I call out to the Lord. And it may look stupid, but I just close my eyes and say, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. And he always does. And he always defeats sin like he said he would. And why not do that? He's like, I don't care what I look like. My Lord comes. He always, he promised to come. If I call him, he said he would come and he does. Do that. Just do that. I've, I've adopted that in my life. And I, don't, I already look stupid, so I don't care if I look dumber. But if you call on Jesus, he said he will come. And he always has. And he will come again. <laughs>